Father, we just come to you, Lord. We surrender ourselves afresh, Lord, because it's a new day. We thank you, awoke. You woke us up, Lord. You give us one more day in the land of the living. And we need to hear from you. We need to keep learning from you. We keep to change, keep changing by your word and your spirit in the image of your son. We are all on the road, Lord. It's made different people at different stages, some stuck, some moving. Help us, Lord, to see where we are in Christ. Because, O oh Lord, we cannot be standing there between two opinions anymore. We need to move. As Peter said at the end, the cry goes out, come near to me. We need to move to it closer and closer, Lord. It's not just a song. It has to become life, Lord. A closer walk with you. We have come for the ministry of the word so that we may continue to learn your ways and your thoughts. It's the only way we can draw close to you, Lord. So this morning, Father, I pray, speak to us, Lord. Speak to us. Speak to us. Speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 <clears throat> we saw on Thursday and Sunday. Sunday we saw on barrenness, the way out. He wasn't giving you seven steps. <laughs> I like that part of the message. Everybody looks for an easy solution. Just give me the formula. <laughs> well, for each person, the formula is different. The divine mathematician has come to me. <laughs> we, like the children of Israel, will say, we'll stand afar. Moses, you just climb and get us the formula and come. <laughs> Poor Moses came down with the formula, had to powder it into pieces, put it into the water and make them all drink it. <laughs> it simply doesn't work like that. I was such a dumbo when he came to maths, even the formula I didn't understand. <laughs> so this morning we come back. And we look, you see, there are this, there are these huge, huge, monstrous blocks that are in the way to life. Okay, and uh, all of us, it doesn't matter who it is, all of us, you know, all of us. And it will, sometime it may need a Paul to point out to Peter, you have come so far, yet you are not able to progress because there is a block in your life. It's a block in your life. Like you can be a true Christian only around Jewish believers. Or with Gentile believers when there are no Jewish believers alone. You you still got some issues with what we call as race or class or whatever. Those embedded. We don't even realize it until we are faced with a situation. Something we were not aware of comes out. It comes out. Now we may think, I may think I'm not racist. Until, you know, until, you know, you need to realize these things, what we are actually, like God took them into the wilderness to show them what they were. And like, you know, when they were groaning in Egypt, they thought, oh, we are all victims. If only situation were right, how great it would be. So God says, you are no better than the Egyptians. Absolutely no better than the Egyptians. 
Sometimes the Egyptians are better. You need to understand that's the truth of it. Sometimes the Egyptians are better. Let me ask you this question. Simple rhetorical question. When I was up in the morning meditating, God was telling me something. He said, did you see? Pilate could see my son was innocent and the Jews couldn't. He just took a look and said, this man is without guilt. This man is without guilt. And yet the Jews had the law, grew up, ate, drank, breathed the law, and they condemned him. He who was without guilt. Sometimes we need to be very, very, very careful about all these things and always be constantly in this state like Elijah should be able to, or he's telling Ahab, I stand before the Lord. Okay? So we saw the result of the fall. It all begins there. Okay? When man chose to believe the voice of the devil and chose to disbelieve what God had already spoken, the fall begins. That's how sin begins. Sin, all sin is the transgression of the law. And they had only one law there. You can eat of all the trees. That's liberty. But of one tree, don't eat. You eat, your liberty goes. Sin comes, guilt comes, shame comes, fear comes, rejection comes, sorrow comes, pain comes, trauma comes, it all comes. This is the state of the fallen man. And there is no way back to the land of reconciliation. Eden is blocked. There is only one way you can come. That is through Christ Jesus. There is no other way. There is no other way. Meaning every day, the ones who have found their way back and the ones who are outside, even those who have found their way back, every day there is only one way you can go back. There is no other way. Even for us believers, doesn't matter how long we've been in the Lord, we have to go back the same way. He is the way. That same way through Christ Jesus. Okay? There's only one way. And it's just, it's just not a song. It's the truth. One way. Jesus. And that's the way of the cross. Christ crucified. And we don't go on that way and we allow other things to get into our minds, whatever experiences we go through. What will happen is we too, ultimately at some point in life, will become like the Jews to whom Jesus was preaching. We listen, but we do not hear. We have eyes, but we do not see. Because now we see everything through the prism of sin, of guilt, of shame, of fear of rejection, of pain, of trauma. That's the big picture through which we see. And our vision is blurred. We are not able to see. That's the framework in which we see. We see. And that's the framework. Okay? Because we see through that framework. And the issue is, until Corinthians 5.17 becomes a reality in our lives, Second Corinthians, if any man is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. How will you know all things have passed away? Because you do not see anything anymore through that old vision, prism. You don't see anything that way. You don't see. You see things. You have become truly. God is taking us through that process to becoming a truly a new man. So we saw Elijah saying, come near to me. Come near to me. And the people make a move after standing there for two 
whole day, morning till evening. They cried from morning to evening. They did everything. Nothing is happening. I said, thank God nothing happened. And people don't move because things are happening on the other side. And we don't realize when things happen on the other side, it is judgment. God allows them to go into delusion. Lying signs and wonders is what Thessalonians calls it. Meaning he allows things to happen because he's already handing over people onto the other side. Go that way if that's what you want. Thank God Elijah bound up everything and God listened to Elijah's prayer and nothing happened. Otherwise people would have moved on to that side. These are people with no opinion. A lot of people have no opinion at all. Christians, we are not talking to the world. These messages or every message we preach is we. We preach because we are not into evangelism. Our other churches do evangelism. We are a teaching church, meaning we are called to preach to those who are within the kingdom. Who are within the kingdom. Okay, in so many ways we've been told like Jesus, don't go to the cities of the Samaritans. Okay, we preach to believers. Okay, and believers need to be very, very careful. You cannot be standing anymore between two opinions. Not two opinions. So when he says, come near to me, the first thing he does is he repairs the altar of God. If you know about the altar in the tabernacle, the altar was outside. Any believer had to go through that altar. That altar was where all the offerings for guilt and sin was offered. You have to go through that altar only. And that's the cross. You cannot skirt the cross. You cannot have a message that skirts the cross. There were many preachers during Paul's time and then there was Paul. And Paul said, we preach Christ crucified. We will not skirt that because there is no salvation for man from the beginning till the end. There is no salvation. You cannot be saved if you skirt that altar, that cross. Because it is at the cross we are reconciled with God. It is at the cross we are reconciled with man. Both. Because the cross has two beams, vertical and horizontal. And it is, it is not an accident that God picked the cross. Because it portrays everything Christ did. He makes peace with God and man. He makes peace with man and man. And these are not accidents. These are God's object lessons, the cross. Okay, You can wear a cross around your neck all your life. I have never experienced the power of the cross. And the first thing is that we need to be reconciled with God. The social gospel is trying reconciliation with man. See, the problem with the social gospel, when your cross has only one beam. See, Jesus could be hung on one beam too. So that's a social gospel. So the social gospel is trying to make peace with man without having peace with God. Therefore, you will compromise on all, everything that God is and you can have peace. That's what the devil will offer. Devil will offer. He will be a man of peace. He will offer a peace which man wants. Okay? The carnal man wants without offering peace with God. That's why God says when they say peace and safety, sudden destruction will come. So the first need of man is, I need peace with God. We need per- forgiveness from God. In Isaiah 53 and verse 6, we all have to individually put our name there. In that first all, you have to write in your personal Bible, don't write in your neighbor's Bible, your name, write in your Bible, where there is all, put brackets and put your names. I, James, like sheep, have gone astray. I have turned everyone, I myself, to my own way. 
and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, my iniquity. That's when it becomes salvation. I went, I went, you went, everybody went. Whether you acknowledge or not, the fact is that we all, and what did the father do? The Lord has laid on him. Who's the Lord there? The father. On him, the son. The father has laid on the son the iniquity of us all. Please understand, in eternity only people will realize. Our greatest need on planet earth was not food, water, oxygen or clothes or anything. Our greatest need on planet earth is forgiveness from God. Without forgiveness from God, it does not matter how much oxygen you breathe, how well you eat, how well you live, how well you are dressed. At the end, you go to eternity and to hellfire. So our greatest need is forgiveness from God. And that's what God did on the cross. And that's why Jesus was saying, seek ye first the kingdom of God. When you understand the kingdom of God, you will understand the value of what God has done for mankind. Otherwise, you will not. And all these other things, you don't even worry about them. That I will add. And our greatest need is that. You cannot skirt it. And we need to realize, as we see around the world, it's getting worse and worse and worse. It's getting like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. The two things Jesus compared to the last days. Meaning, violence and abuse is increasing every second. Physical abuse, emotional abuse, verbal abuse, sexual abuse, you name it. And that's why I don't look forward to Mondays, because Mondays is counseling days. <laughs> and it's not nice. Counseling times are not nice, because all you hear is stories of abuse. And, uh, no. What happens is, when I, when people go through this kind of abuse, Actually, what becomes difficult is forgiveness becomes more and more difficult to give and to receive. You look at the people on the streets of U.S., everybody is a victim. Everybody is a victim. Remember the Lord's Prayer. Understand the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6. There is one part in that Lord's word where it's verse 12, 6, 12. Everybody knows it by heart. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now he has, Jesus teaches us this entire prayer. And when he finishes it, he comes back in verse 14 and uh, 15. Because we have to deal with guilt and shame, sorry, guilt and sin and guilt first. There is no skirting the issue, he said. And I look at this, what he says. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I was telling Pastor Vijay, you know, one of the most spiritually selfish acts a believer can do is forgive others because I need forgiveness from God. You want to be spiritually selfish? Forgive others. You know what? I, there is spiritual jealousy. No, God is jealous for his people. That's jealousy. There's spiritual selfishness also. I'm very selfish. You know what? I want to forgive everybody because I want forgiveness from God. I look at that and I look at that and I see, you know what, Lord? I want your forgiveness. And I found there is one thing in me that can block from receiving your forgiveness is me not forgiving others. And you cannot skirt. 
this. Okay, We want in Matthew 11 verse 24, Jesus talks about this incredible power of faith in receiving. But I, uh, Mark 11, sorry, Matthew, Mark 11, 24. Incredible power of faith. Okay. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them and people go gaga over them. And then he says in verse 25 and 26, but you know, this is the problem. Whenever you stand praying, you are asking for something. Whenever you stand praying, listen, before you start mumbling all your prayers, listen to my Holy Spirit. Okay, he will tell you, remind you of not things, people. You are asking for things, he will remind you of people. If you have anything against anyone, forgive him. That your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. In verse 26, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. You see, he this very important verses, he brings this in. Like 24 is all with prosperity preachers, claim and name and, and all those journeys, remember? All those guys jump on 24 and keep quiet about 25 and 26. Because they don't want to offend, they're politically correct preachers. They don't want to offend their congregation, okay? I'm telling you, this is very, very important. We saw in Isaiah 53, verse 10, we have guilt and sin. And what did the father do? He offered his son and accepted the son. Isaiah 53, verse 10. You know? Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you made, who is you there? The father. His soul is the son and an offering for sin. We saw the two words are you. Sin is the outward act. Guilt is what we carry. Okay? Carry. So he made his soul into an offering. We saw the other part of shame. We will get into all this in detail. Okay? We saw that he endured the shame. The shame of, okay? And he was rejected of all men and he was rejected of God, the things which people go through because of sin, shame, and guilt. Okay? And then there is what you call pain, the trauma. There are traumatized people all around in the church. They are, they have been, uh, for many people, you need to realize, we do not even realize how many are there who are traumatized right from the womb. Because a lot of children were rejected right in the womb. Because the mothers didn't want them or the fathers didn't want them and they survived a botched ab abortion attempt or they believed in a life and they wouldn't abort but they rejected the baby saying, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. So the child has been going through trauma, right? We always talk about, I always talk about Madigal, no? That was a traumatized baby. That's why I was so attached to it. Because imagine your own mother rejects you and leaves you in a dumpster. And goes, and the dogs are after you, and somebody hears the baby cry and rescues you, and then you are brought to a place and nobody likes you because you got a cleft, this thing, and your hair sticks out like a porcupine's spines. And then you have a broken palate because therefore even a normal ayah will take half an hour to feed you, or one hour to feed you half a bottle of milk, and nobody had patience with that baby. I loved the baby. One of the things I noticed about the baby was that even with all that, I mean, her features were grotesque, but she had a twinkling in her eye. He always says the eye is the soul of the mirror. 
you know and imagine the trauma the child must have gone through rejected 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 you know sterling pastor vijay you know she used to lie on the bed and i used to be on the on the floor sometimes sleeping and she wakes up opens her eyes and she will when she was very small a few months old few months i mean when she's a year old when she was able to get off the bed on herself no she would climb down from the bed crawl over and lie on my chest and go to sleep and i would hold that tightly no and how many rejected rejected from the womb children are rejected from the womb then when they are born they are rejected because you know we have this color code in the society don't like the looks don't like the color don't like no don't like don't like they get rejected for things of which then they get sexually abused you know physically abused you look at all that and the bible says you know the agony the trauma of all mankind has gone through the son went through in verse 11 so when people say god does not understand you have no clue what you are talking about you know he shall see the labor of his soul shall we have a few other translation no whichever one you pick no after the suffering of his soul you know okay suffering anguish of the soul okay the trauma people go through it is not the act the act whatever happens you get beaten or you get abused or whatever in the body recovers very fast but the soul doesn't recover fast the soul sometimes does not recover okay okay so that that is the trauma of the soul soul so victims you will see even years later they freeze when something similar happens they freeze because the trauma is still in the body has recovered but the soul hasn't and take all the abuse from the first man has gone through to the last man will go through everything was put on the son his soul when only the god soul could handle that kind of trauma nobody's soul could have handled that kind of trauma the pure sinless soul of the son of god handled that trauma and you know what the father looked at the travail of his soul of his son's soul and he was satisfied said so that is the punishment for all the abuse and the victims punishment for everything and he endured it okay so when we refuse to seek forgiveness from god or when we refuse to forgive others we despise his agony it doesn't matter what anybody has gone through it is just like holding a candle against the sun when we know what he went through he didn't have to go through he went through so we despise his agony he sacrificed his suffering we consider his blood cheap and we insult the spirit of grace okay so we have to be very very careful about it okay it doesn't matter what you have gone through but there is only one way to healing and wholeness when i preach i tell them in eternity you will realize 
the most powerful words you ever heard was, you are forgiven. The most powerful words a man or a woman can utter is, I forgive you. There's nothing more powerful. Nothing more powerful. You are forgiven. There are millions upon millions of souls in hell. Once upon a time, there were rich and powerful kings and queens and nobility and rich and emperors and everything. But if you ask them, if you were to give on a second chance, they will say, we'll give our empire, we will have given everything over to hear three words from God, you are forgiven. Nothing is worth it. Nothing in life is worth it to that one thing. That's the reality of eternity. So Jesus teaches, Jesus teaches this consistently. Let's go to Matthew chapter 18 and first turn to verse 21 to 27. It is, we call it the forgive, the parable of the unforgiving servant. So Peter, Peter, thank God Peter had foot in mouth disease, but he asked some very relevant questions for our sake. Okay, we like, though we say, uh, we get uh, 10 questions a week, but thank God for those 10 questions, a lot of people. Everybody doesn't receive the answer the same way. Please remember, everybody listens to the answer according to their frame. Okay, you have one question. This is not math. This is life. It's not math. This is life. So you have a question, you give an answer. You have 100 people listening. And the same thing happens actually with the preaching of the word of God. Everybody doesn't hear the same way through that frame. No. So we need to see that the frame is clear. The frame is clear. So Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him up to seven times. You think he was being perfect. Okay, seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times. He says, I'm not going to tell you seven times. Up to 70 times seven. Okay. And then he's going to meet his disciples. He's very good. They ask him a question. He gives them an answer. Then illustrates the answer with a Example, a parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Okay? 10,000 talents. I mean, somebody factored it to around, uh, it's equal, some people say up to 10 to or anywhere. Today's logistic, I mean, we don't know. Um, currency market could be anything up between 50 to 100 million dollars okay this guy owed him meaning he says no way he can pay it back okay and verse 25 but as he was not able to pay his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and the payment to be made the servant therefore fell down before him saying master have patience with me and I will pay you all See, in the kingdom of God, nothing is written off. Okay, this is student loan written off, this loan, that only the earthly governments for votes do it. God doesn't want anybody's vote. He's king by right. Okay, here everybody is vying for vote. I will cancel that loan of farming loan of that loan of this loan of. There is no writing of pay it all. Or you and your household will be sold. Pay it all. Okay, pay it all. The master of the servant, okay, verse 26. The servant therefore fell down before saying, Master, have patience with me, I will pay you all. What did this guy say? He fell on his knees and said, have patience with me, I will pay you 
But let me ask you, hey, can he pay it all? No, he cannot pay it all. No way he can pay it all. It's impossible if you look at the figure. It's impossible for him on his salary to pay this off. Look at verse 27. The master of that servant was moved with compassion and released him and said, okay, I will give you time. That's not what he said. He forgave him his debt. Okay, That's what he didn't tell us. Okay, uh, I will extend your life. Live up to 80 years and do good works and I will let you into heaven. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. He said, all his sins are forgiven. All your sins are forgiven. See, what he is asking and what he is being given are two different things. Don't forget that. God looks at us and says, it's impossible for you to live a life worthy of me, my name, or my kingdom. So what I will do, I'll cancel the debts off. He's not canceling the debts off because it is free. He's canceling his debt off because somebody else will pay for it. That's why we say in life, nothing is free. Nothing is free. Somebody is paying for it. Nothing is free. Nothing is free. Somebody is paying it. If the poor man in the hut gets his electricity for 100 rupees a month, the fellow in Jubilee Hills is paying 20,000 his electricity bill. So he is paying for his bill. Nothing is free. Okay, Nothing is free. Life is like that. He cancelled the debt. That's what happened on the cross. God cancelled every man's debt. Man, woman, child, every man's thing was cancelled. Now let's look at his reaction, verses 28 to 30. But the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. You know how much it is? Roughly, like calculation, maybe twenty dollars. Look at what somebody owes us, whatever it is owes us, and what we owe God. We owe God $50 million, because everybody understands money in this world, okay? And dollar sounds better, okay? Okay, even if you say rupee, half the people, if you say dirham, half the people, dollar, everybody understands, greenback, okay? Okay, okay. Imagine, I owe God 50 or I owe somebody $100 million. And let's say I owe Vijay $100 million. Vijay says, it's okay, forget it. And Peter owes me 20 rupees. And I grasp Peter by the throat. Give it to me. He laid hands on him. And took him by the throat. Look at it. The king did not send anybody to catch him by the throat. He didn't do any of those things. He just said, pay your debts. This guy laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me, I will pay you. Now he also said the same thing. The thing is that he probably can pay it off. Whatever others have done to us, in so many ways we can pay it back. We can do good unless it is murder. But almost everything. That's why David was trying to do okay. I can at least know. He's not giving Becheva a widow's pension. He married her, brought her to the palace and ultimately gave her son the throne also. Okay. 
whatever others have done to us to certain level we can always pay back but what we have done to god we can never pay back it's impossible to pay back we simply do not have the power to pay back what we have done to god to his holiness his creation okay we have we have messed it up messed it up because people don't even understand what does it mean in heaven to sin all have sinned and short of the we have destroyed his glory. You know, in his creation, we were supposed to reflect his glory. We messed up his glory. We destroyed his glory. And we have uh, abused his glory. He's the creator. And we are the creation. Okay, and he says, it's okay. I forgive it. That's why the son lives a life of perfect obedience. And at the end, he says, Father, I have brought glory to you. I didn't mess up your glory. I have reflected your glory on earth. Okay. For people today, glory means hollow around and they glory in things and glory in their cards and glory in their costumes and glory. They don't even know what glory is. So his fellow servant fell. Okay. Remember 612, forgive us your debts, even as... Ah. Now goes to verse 31. He would not, but he went and threw him into the prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Okay? Keep reading. Yeah. Then his master, after he had called him and said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Let's pause here for a minute, okay? God is in no way justifying anything that has been done to you. It's not justified. Okay. Everybody has been a victim of one kind of abuse or not. So God is not justifying abuse. He's not doing that. But he's saying, your way to healing is through forgiveness. And moreover, how do you so readily accept my forgiveness? And not show that same kind of mercy to somebody else. Okay. And God is not also telling abuse victims to go to their abusers and say, I forgive you. Don't do all kind of those emotional things. That's not what God is talking about. That is only if in very select cases where there is an encounter and then the Spirit of God, like that happened with Cory Ten Boom and the security guard from the concentration camp. But basically, God is saying, when you stand before me, forgive, forgive, forgive. Okay, forgive. Repeat this again on Sunday. But let me tell you this. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's an act of will. It's an act of will. It's not a feeling. People think it's a feeling. It's not a feeling. It's an act of will. And we don't realize how strong our will is. How strong our will. If you have a will, you can do anything. That's why they say where there is a will, there is a way. There is a, you can do anything. 
if you have a will. Okay, we can, why do we do all the wrong things? Because we have a very strong will. God says, just turn it around for the good. Okay, and the thing is that the devil will try to attack you through your emotions. So if, even when I'm speaking, you have pictures of people in your mind, what you do as an act of will is, Lord, Father, I choose to forgive this person. I forgive this person. And later, if those same person comes back into your mind, don't repeat that prayer. Just say, I have already forgiven that person. Already forgiven that person. Otherwise, you'll be caught in that. The devil is deceptive. He'll always say, you have been forgiven. So, go one step ahead of him. And say, no, I have already forgiven him. I've already forgiven him. I've already forgiven him. Okay. That's how you handle this. So if you are an abuse victim, if you really want to hear from God and want the healing to come into your own soul, it doesn't matter what it is. None of us in our life will ever go through what Cory ten Boom and all went through. Okay, They have to hear their stories, the German Nazi camp. She's the only one who survived in her family and came out. The shame, the indignation, the torture, the starvation. They're just numbers, that's all. And then you hear the story of what hair is separated of the victims. Hair is used for teeth is separated. Teeth is used. You put in in the camp and the gas boilers for heating. Your body fat is being melted. So the fat is being used for other purposes. I mean, the indignity of a human being made in the image of God. Okay, and you go through all that and you come out, and then God says, "Forgive those who put you through that." You know, and she was one of the most powerful women used in the last century. She literally lived from hotel room to hotel room off a suitcase preaching the gospel of forgiveness. And when it came from her mouth, you couldn't. You had no defense. You had no arguments. So please get this. Otherwise, we will not see and what God wants us to see and hear what God wants us to hear. So God is not justifying anything that you have gone through. But God says, this is the way out. There was no other way. So I let my son's soul bear the agony, the trauma of all violence and abuse and sin. So don't skirt over this. Don't skirt over this. Don't skirt over this. Make a choice in your mind to forgive all. Lord, forgive me and I forgive all. Lord, forgive me of all my sins. And Lord, I forgive all who have sinned against me. Okay? Please be very, very careful. Okay? Point number one. The dangers, how God looks. Same, Matthew 18, verse 32. His master, after he had called him and said to him, You wicked servant. Wait a second. Did he commit adultery? Did he lie? Did he steal? Did he commit murder? What did he call him? Unforgiveness is a wickedness before God. Get point number one. Okay, how God sees. God sees. Now we are talking about within the kingdom of God. This is, this is all precepts within the kingdom of God. And a believer to hold unforgiveness in your heart, God says you're evil, you're wicked. There are two wickednesses. Believers need to be very, very careful about in the kingdom. We'll come back to that. We'll take a quick glance at the other one so that we get these two things and believers. We are talking to believers. Matthew 25, 26. Because believers are those who have received forgiveness from God and struggle with forgiveness from man. Hmm? 
His Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have sown and gather where I have not gathered. Who is this fellow? This is the fellow who did not use his life, his power, his talents, his gifts, his resources to serve his king. What is he called? Wicked fellow. So there are two kinds of wicked people in the kingdom of God. One who won't forgive others, one who won't serve God. And they sit in the church and wonder why I don't see, why I don't hear. And they just drift through life without ever finding out what is the call of God on my life? What is my purpose? Why I was saved. Lord, now speak to me. Two kinds of wicked people. One, those who don't forgive. The one, those who don't serve God. So God says to him, you wicked servant. So what is unforgiveness? It's wickedness. It's wickedness. wickedness. And there's so much wickedness in Christian homes, Christian organizations, the church. So much wickedness. So much wickedness. And we have to call it. That's what I said. When you go to God, you have to call it by what God. Oh, you are a very unforgiveness person. Oh, it's okay. Everybody is unforgiveness. You are a wicked person. Is what God says. A wicked person. And then suddenly everything changes. Everything changes. Okay? Now I will tell you how it works. God said when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and so on. It all begins at Jerusalem. So you will see trouble also began in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is your home. The closest ones are the most you struggle to forgive. That's why you get all this letter from, I, I, I divide mankind into two, men and women. Because that's how God divided, so I don't have a third gender. Man and women. So I have these two categories and we all fall into it. Angry men and bitter women. That's why to men, God says, do not raise up angry hands in prayer. Men are angry. Women are bitter. I'm talking about in marriages. Men are angry. Women are bitter. You know how? It's because of unforgiveness. 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 No? And then it passes on. And father finally come to office and this is... That is Judea. Then you go to Samaria. Then you go to the ends of the earth. It just spreads. And God says, be careful. Be careful. It can take you to the grave. Verse 34. His master was angry. Can I have KJV? Because angry is, angry is, uh, it's a very neutral word. Even, oh, my dog was very angry today. He was barking too much. 34, 34. 18, 34. His Lord was wroth. The wrath of God will be poured upon you. See the seven trumpets and the angels and the wrath being. What is the anger of God? <clears throat> Look it through God's eyes to understand how he looks at different things in life. <laughs> David committed adultery. David committed murder. David lied and cheat, cheated. He repented. God looked at him with mercy. Ahitophel never forgave him. And the wrath of God was on Ahitophel who committed suicide. The wrath of God was not on David. 
The wrath of God was on Ahitophel. You don't see how God, because this man repented and sought forgiveness. This man was so unforgiving. I'm waiting for a chance to take revenge. The minute he got it, his diabolical plans all came into pass. Last plan did not come to pass. And he went and killed himself. Please understand these things, children. It arouses the wrath of God. What did he do? He said, he delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. Verse 36. So likewise shall my heavenly father do also unto you. What will he do unto you? So you, he calls you wicked. He's mad. Mad also is not an equal word. Wrath of God. KJV sometimes has that effect. The wrath of God. And third, he delivers you to tormentors. Until you have paid all. What is the pay? What you have to pay? Until you have forgiven from your heart. Hands you over to tormentors. What are these tormentors? These are spiritual tormentors, emotional, mental tormentors, physical tormentors, all kind of torment comes. See, the Western system, now, modern Western system, they don't understand this. Eastern system, they understand it very well. A federal prison in US is better than a five-star hotel in India. I mean, you get your room and TV and... Uh, I think you may even get a MacBook Pro if Biden becomes president. Okay. It's good to be a criminal in the U.S. Okay. What I'm talking about, Eastern, we know that. Eastern prisoners are on hard labor. Hard labor. They have chains, they have fetters. Even when they work, they cannot stand straight. Because people who are free walk free. Stand straight. Those who are condemned are supposed to stoop. So that's the way you are portrayed, the hard labor. Many people don't even come through the prison system in their sentence. They die there. So the picture is there. The torment you go through. The torment you go through. And God says, do you understand torment? And people go through torment. They go through physical, spiritual torment. When they don't forgive, finally a lot of people go mad. And they get demon possessed. They get possessed by demons. That's a spiritual. Emotionally, they go haywire. They are bitter, nasty. You know, they have no peace. Nobody comes near them. Nobody, you know. See, you don't have to murder somebody to be put in an isolation uh, chamber. Cell. You know, when, when you are very dangerous, even in the prison system, they'll lock you up alone. Do you know so many people have locked themselves alone because of the torment God has given them? No? It's working? No? Because of the torment God allows them to go into, they are locked in. They are locked in their soul. No? They are locked in their soul. They are not able to move at all. They are not able to communicate at all. They don't really have friends at all. They have nobody. They don't talk to God. They are not able to, like it, they are like Saul, <laughs> locked in. Every No response from heaven. Philistines are all around you. You are going to on your way to death. Not even a consoling voice. 
but even a consoling voice. A lot of people go to death that way. You know why? Because God said, I told you to let go. I told you to forgive. I told you to forgive. Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5. God says, do you know what my son went through for you and me? Surely he had borne our... We thought we grew... You don't know what grief, sorrow I went through. He says, no, you didn't. My son carried all those griefs. Carried our sorrows. Yet we did not esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. We never see. See, people are really not able to see that he carried it for me. He never had to go through any of those things. But he was afflicted for my sin. We don't. We don't. Yet we did not esteem him stricken. Nor do we see him stricken or we see the crucifix and we see hang. But we don't esteem his sorrow. We don't esteem his sorrow. We esteem our own sorrow. Esteem our own sorrow. No? Esteem our own sorrow. That's a problem. When you sit with these people, all you hear is their sorrow, their sorrow, their sorrow, their sorrow. They, they don't esteem his sorrow. We esteem our sorrow. We say, we are smitten of God without realizing he was smitten of God. Which I am afflicted. You know, he was afflicted. He was wounded for our transgression. We say, no, I am wounded. God says, no, he was wounded. For, not his transgression. My transgression. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement for my peace. See, that's the only way I can have peace. There's no other way to peace. What everybody wants is peace. Peace with God first. Peace with man is secondary, meaning it is as important, but as far as possible, because all men may not forgive you. But God will. But we are asked to pursue peace with men. But God will always forgive you. So what I need most is peace. And that peace comes because he went through the whole process, and by his stripes we are healed. Like I said, after Jesus and before Jesus, so many people were crucified. So many people, even his own apostles and others, have gone through more physically painful death, but nobody died like him. His agony was completely different. That agony, nobody will ever even know what his agony was, what he went through. So God says, people are tormented. You want to come out of your torment? There's only one way. There's only one way. You have to come out of your torment. Otherwise, your torment will de- will decide how you see life and how you see people. And you will use torment to deflect what God is telling you. Not to obey. You will use torment to deflect. And you are not able to see anything. There is bread in Bethlehem. God has come back. There is a Boaz over there, the Redeemer God has prepared. He's a blessed man. He's a godly man. But you are not able to see anything because you are so bitter inside. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Everything God has prepared for you, everything is ready. He's not able to do it. So he has to use another woman who is a Moabite, who is not bitter. Not able to see. And we blame God. God says, I have spread a table for you in the presence of all your enemies. Why don't you dine? No. We are not able to even to really see the table or enjoy the table. I have come to give you life. Life in abundance. That's a life of peace. That's a life of praise. That's why we, every morning, 
devotion we get. It's a life unparalleled. You Those devotions you know is possible only because of what Christ did in the, in the cross. You know the cross is real when you read those devotions. Not the Spurgeon. Spurgeons are more intellectual. The morning devotions are from people who have killed and cut into pieces and their families, how they stood there and saw the grace of God through it all. Never reacted the way the devil wanted them to react. So people are tormented. People are tormented. So the first word of God is always, come near me. Come near to me. A response to that. Come. And we go. And everything that God is doing primarily in life, actually all around the world, what he's doing is he's trying to humble us through our situations and circumstances so that we'll go to him. We'll just go to him. We look at as famine, we look at as barrenness, we look at as drought, we look at as pandemic. What is God trying to do it all? Will he just, will he just come to me? These are all just implements in my hand just to bring you. you know? If you look at pictures in the Bible connected with this, the, the, the Isaac, the picture of Isaac on the altar is a picture of Jesus on the cross. The death of Jesus Christ. But the life of Jesus Christ is not portrayed through Isaac. It is portrayed through Joseph. Joseph is the life of Christ. Isaac is the death of Christ. Okay. So if you look at Joseph, this is what the Bible says in Psalm 105 and verse 16. Verse 15. Hundred and six, right? Uh oh. One. No, no, no. He sent a man ahead of. One second, one second. Seven, uh, sixteen, sixteen. Not sixteen. Word sixteen. Next words, yeah. Moreover, he called for a famine in the land. And he destroyed all the provision. Who did it? God did it. He just called it for famine in the land. Okay. What is famine? Lack of anything. What is destroying the provision of bread? Your daily provision from God is gone. The strength is gone. He called a famine in the land. Whatever lack it is, whatever it is, lack of peace, lack of joy, lack of healing, lack of anything, which is child of God is entitled to, which becomes the source of your torment. Okay, we heard about barrenness. Rachel is tormented. Though husband loves her more than all the others put together. She is tormented because one area is shut. She is barren. Hannah is tormented. Though husband says, am I not worth more than ten sons than you? Okay, the torment of it. Okay, that is famine. Famine means the land is dry meaning there is no water, meaning there is no life flowing from above. So earth is like iron, heaven is like brass. That is famine. Okay. What is the purpose of the famine? To bring us to that point where we will receive God's forgiveness and ask forgiveness from man. Okay. 
So the next word says, he sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. The famine did not come during the time of Joseph. The famine came after Joseph was in Egypt. So the famine is not for Joseph. The famine is for Joseph's brothers. So the famine is not for Jesus. The famine is for Jesus' brothers. But before the famine could hit Jesus' brothers, us, he was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. So he was sent before us. Much, much before. Otherwise, there is no point in a famine. If there is no Joseph to feed us, what can we do? If there is no Jesus who died for us, what is the point saying, Father, forgive me. Father says, I cannot. I cannot forgive anybody. I am just, I am holy. All to hell. I, I hear your cry. understand you. But I am sorry. This is the law. All have sinned. And the wages of sin is death. I am sorry. And the most merciful, compassionate judge you will ever meet in life. Now go to hell. That would be the verdict from heaven. But so that man would not go to hell. Jesus was the one who was sent before us. That's why the Bible Revelation says he was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world was sent. He sent before us. So Joseph is sent before them. And then the famine is created. What is this famine? Whatever famine you are going through. Okay, it is created. And the famine creates torment. That's what famine does. It creates torment. Okay? It creates torment. Whole purpose? So that you would come to Jesus. You would come to Christ. So he sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. And how did he go? They hurt his feet with fetters and he was laid in irons. He went through hell. Literally. For my, my, this thing is this. Uh, three years in Potiphar's palace and ten years in prison. That's how I figure it out. He had to go through ten years of that prison experience before he was judged perfect to take power in Egypt in God's eyes. Okay. Three years a slave and ten years in the dungeon. Hands chained, neck in fetters. Did he sin? If you look at his, look in as a type, did he sin against his brothers? No. Did he sin against his father? No. Did Jesus sin against his father? No. Did he sin against his brothers? No. But his neck is in irons and his feet are in fetters. And why is he going like that? For the sake of his brothers. For the sake of his brothers. To redeem his brothers. So Joseph is the picture of the life of Christ Jesus. That was the whole purpose of the famine. Genesis 41 and verse 57. So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain. So Bible doesn't say all countries came to Egypt to buy grain. Nobody goes to Egypt now because there's no Joseph there. There's only one time in history where all countries went to Egypt to buy grain. That was when Joseph was there. There's only one time on the point where everybody was going wherever Jesus went because they knew they would receive mercy from him. Mercy from him. You know? So what was the purpose of the famine? So that everybody would go to Joseph. If you look at verse 41 and uh, chapter 41 and 41, the reason is, the Pharisee said to Joseph, see I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Because God said to his son Jesus, I have set you over everything. Mm -hmm. 
So if you go to God, he will say, come through my son. Go to him. Go to him. Go to him. Not don't come through Mary, don't come through Jude, don't come through, and they cannot do anything for you. Even if you pray to them, the maximum that can happen, they will bring it back to him. You can go through to him directly, right? I mean, there is no scriptural foundation to say Mary will take it to Jesus. Even if you think, when you can go directly to Jesus, why do you have to go through Mary? Okay. Go to him. Why? Because the Father has put everything into his hands. That's the purpose. So we have two choices now. We can die in the famine, tormented, bitter, angry. You can die in your marriage, die in your workplace, die in your church, or go to Jesus. There's choices. Some people are dying in their marriages. Okay, when they come, we all see each other, everybody looks so high, wide, good, smiling and all. I don't know whether that is the truth. That is the truth. They're dying in their marriages, they're dying in their homes, they're dying in their workplaces. Joseph did not die in his workplace. <laughs> Joseph was still a slave in the prison and in the, he was still a slave. But he was not dying, he was living because God was with him. Life was with him. God was with him. So you don't have to die in your workplace. Your situation, your personal situation doesn't determine what you are in the workplace. What the populace is, is God with you all. If God has to be with you, it's very clear you are forgiven of God and you have forgiven your brother. Otherwise, God is not going to be with you. He will not walk with you. So the only answer is die in your famine or go to Jesus. So they go to Jesus. It's interesting in chapter 42 and verse 8. 42 verse 8. Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Jesus recognizes us. We don't recognize him because there's unforgiveness in our hearts. We cannot recognize him. Even if Jesus were to come and walk in churches and in the world today, they will not recognize him unless your heart is clear of unforgiveness. You will not recognize him. He recognized them. He recognized them. But they could not recognize him. You know how it spiritually applies? You can hear the word from the most anointed preacher on planet earth. Even Jesus himself can preach. But you will not recognize him. You will not recognize him. You will not hear his voice. Because there is a block in your heart. Block in your heart. So I keep telling. doesn't matter what you have gone through in life. If you are in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God there are only victors. There are no victims. There are no victims in the kingdom of God. If you think you are a victim, you cannot hear what God is trying to see. You are not able to see him in his beauty and in his glory. After some time, you will start looking at him also. He is male. God is a patriarch. The father is the one who abused me when I was a child. A lot of kids go through that, you know. So, did you see what they are saying? White supremacy and Christianity, they're bringing it together. Because God is a patriarch. And many of them got abused by their father figure in their life. Their father abused them. But God is not an abuser. God is a redeemer. A flaxing, 
A smoking flax he will not put out. A bruised reed he will not break. That's God. That's God. You're deflecting the issues. You're deflecting the issues. People don't understand. They don't want to face the truth in their own heart. Let me tell you a simple fact, spiritual truth. The Caucasian, the what do you call them? Caucasian race. That's the white people, right? If the Caucasian race, skin color was not white, it was black. Wasn't white, it was black. They still would have done what they did. It's got nothing to do with the color of your skin. Everybody has enslaved everybody. Indians have enslaved Indians. Chinese have enslaved Chinese. Even now they are enslaving. Japanese enslaved the Chinese and the Koreans. Every black man has enslaved the black man. Arabs have enslaved. Tribe has enslaved. Everybody has enslaved every man. It has got nothing to do with the color of your skin. It's simply got to do the nature of the fallen man. And if you don't deal with that issue... All it will bring in is more trouble. That is the issue. The issue is sin. The issue is not the color of your skin. The issue is sin, not skin. <laughs> that is the issue. That is the issue. That is the issue. And there is so much shame, like I said last time. There is so much guilt and so much shame. But this guilt is false. What guilt? What is your guilt? Is there anybody alive today who was ever part of slavery? No. So what is your guilt? How are you guilty? The Bible says iniquity is a different thing. But the slavery is not passed down as iniquity. Okay, That's not iniquity. Okay, That's not iniquity. God says the father will not bite on sour grapes and children's teeth set on it. No, it is not. It's not. So it's got nothing. You know? It's there all around the world. We are not justifying it. We are not condoning it. Well, what is the answer? The answer is the gospel. The answer is the gospel. You can abolish all these things by law. Nothing changes. Nothing changes. So law doesn't change anything. Unless the heart is changed. The heart can be changed only when there is a relationship vertically and a relationship horizontally. Horizontally. That's what we have to look at it. Joseph recognizes his brothers. Look at verse 7. Go once words higher. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. But he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. Isn't he the most merciful, kind, compassionate person? Yes. But how does his words sound to people who have unresolved issues in their life? Harsh. Sound. No, that's what people say. Pastor was today picking on me. Pastor didn't even know what to pick on. <laughs> Let's leave the part. Even in a husband wife. See, why are husband wives, parents, children, you know, church members or office staff, nobody is to actually, I, that's what I said, the only genuine fellowship that happens is in the bar when they are drunk. All inhibitions, no guilt, no shame, nothing. Okay. But 
you you cannot actually have a real conversation. Two people are not actually able to have it. Conversations are very uh, superficial. They are not able to really have a conversation because there is unresolved issues. So what happens is even if you are trying to tell something, the other person is listening with that frame. Like I said, what they do is that they sweep everything under the carpet. And God said, don't do that. Don't do that. Sweep. Don't do that. Because it will pile up one day. Then suddenly you realize your carpet is as high as a wall. And that's, that's, that's what, that's why Joseph's words, Joseph recognized them. His heart is full of compassion and mercy, but his words sound harsh. Harsh. What does he tell them? He acted as a stranger. When does Jesus be, become a stranger? Jesus is not a stranger. Jesus is not supposed to be my stranger, but he is a stranger. He's a stranger. The issue is, you know what? The issue is not with Joseph. The issue is with me. Remember the old story we talk about? This lady, you know, two apartments side by north. On the other block, there's an apartment and this side lady, you know. She's always complaining to her husband about that lady. You know, that lady, that house is filthy. The people are filthy. Look at their clothes. She washes. She doesn't know how to wash her clothes. It's always dirty. It's always dirty. It's always dirty. Always, oh, dirty people because he looks at the cloth. She doesn't know her. Looks at the cloth through the window. It says, dirty. The clothes are so dirty. And if you wash clothes are like that, then the people are like that, all that. Then it was Christmas time. And Christmas time, it was... Time to clean the windows, everything goes, you know. We also be, act like Hindus, you know. Hindus wash everything outside, put all the thinking the God will come. We think our God visits only during Christmas. That's when we clean and put up, decorate it for him. We don't know how pagan we are in our beliefs. So that day, window has been nicely clean, sparkly. As regular time, the other side lady came and hung her clothes. This day she looked through the window and said, Ah, today her clothes are all clean. Husband said, Honey, her clothes are always clean. Your window was dirty. <laughs> Your window was dirty. And we don't realize. Jesus is the most kind, merciful, loving. He comes to help, to seek, to save the lost. The issue is with our heart. We have sinned against God and we have sinned against our brother and we will not make amends for that. We will not deal with that. That's what Jesus said. Don't worry about the moat in your brother's eye. You know, you got a huge blank. It's hitting everybody wherever you go. <laughs> and you don't even realize it. It's hitting everybody. Okay, if you take it off, you will suddenly be able to clear clearly. Okay. So, if we have unforgiven issues in our lives which we have not set right with God, the words of God, the word of God will always sound harsh, harsh to our ears. So, what we do? Instead of acting, acknowledging and acting or dealing with our sin, we try to justify ourselves. What does he say? You have come to spy out this land. What did you say? You have come to spy out this? What did you come? You only like the prosperity gospel. You have come to eat and not to be healed. 
You have come to see the goodness of this land. The only way you will come to Christ, you have to talk to you about his blessings. Oh, come to Jesus, he will bless you, and he will bless you, and he will do this, you will have mansions, you will walk, and then only you will come. You have come to spy out the goodness of this land. You come to. So what do they do? They, we don't deal with the issue in our heart. We try to justify ourselves. Verse 11. We are all one man's sons. We are honest men. Okay? We are all one man's son. We are all one man's son. Really? Cain, where is your brother by the way? You are all one man's son, right? Where is your brother? They're all one man, son. Do you know you are talking to? Do you know you are all one father's sons? And the eldest son is asking this question. You're all one man, son. He's the son. Everybody who received him, God gave them the power to become the sons of God. Oh, we are all one man, sons. But then... Your servants are not spies. We are all one man sons. What are they doing? Justifying themselves. You know what he does? He took them and put them in prison for three days. Verse 17. So he put them all together in prison three days. Everyone who does not acknowledge their sin and receives forgiveness from God, and forgives his brother, will be in prison these three days. Even during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, that's why the scepter of iron is there, they will be tormented in their soul, while eating all the benefits of the millennial kingdom, but they will be tormented in the soul, because they have been received forgiveness, or given forgiveness. That is why the devil is able to turn them all against Jesus at the end, because they have not tasted the greatest gift God gives, peace, of the soul. For three days he locks them up. First thousand years people were locked up. Second thousand years people are locked up. Third thousand. The free are the ones who have received forgiveness and given forgiveness. The others are all locked up in their souls. Three days. Joseph will lock people up. And people are all locked up in their minds of their souls. This is the result. And when you are locked up in your torment, if you come to your senses, you are smart. Verse 21. And then they said to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother. For we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. How many years have passed by? Seven years, of 13 years is there. Okay, 13 years he was prisoner. He's... Seven years of plenty, so 20 years. Yeah, 20 years. First trip, second trip, let us say two years. 22 years later, they are still able to hear his cry. We are truly guilty concerning. There's something which you cannot wash away. Your guilt will not go. Yeah, Lady Macbeth gets... The king killed, and what's a cry after that? All the perfumes of Arabia, washing, 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 washing.
washing, washing, washing. All the perfumes of Arabia is not able to. There's no blood over there in her hands physically. But all she sees is guilt. Okay. Did you see the anguish? Before we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with. It's not written in Genesis 37. 21 years, they can still hear the cry from the from the pit, crying out from the pit. Anna, Anna, Ruben, Levi, one by one he must have called. Ruben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. No response. Shut up! I hear you, dreamer. Let's see who will rescue. And then he can hear them plotting to kill. And when he has sold, stripped, sold, probably just in his loincloth, hands tied, going pulled behind the camels, looking back, they heard his cry. That is great. Okay. And that's what scripture says. Then they will look upon whom they pierced. The anguish of our, his soul. No. You know when we come to true healing? We will come to true healing when we see the anguish of Jesus' soul on the cross. That's when we will be healed. Till then we will never become whole. We will be focusing on our anguish. As long as you look at your own anguish and not the anguish he went through, there is no wholeness for man. Because his soul was poured out in anguish for our sake. No anguish was like his. So always you will have this victim mentality. But when you look at into that thing and you realize it, he makes you whole. And after that, you will cling to the cross. Cling to the cross. That's Galatians 6.14, if I'm right. You cling. I'll boast of nothing else, he says. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not my cross. Pick up your cross daily. I won't, I won't boast about that cross also. That will take my humility to pride. Oh, I'm carrying my cross. No. I won't boast about that cross too. I'll boast about the cross of Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And people don't even understand what it means. No? People think it's about dining out. and this. It's got nothing to do with any of this thing. You can dine out all your life and the world can be crucified to you. You can never dine an entire out the whole year and be actually alive to the world. People don't understand what worldliness is. They don't understand worldliness is. Worldliness is your reaction primarily to the ideas of the world and the things of the world. That's why I get upset when people get excited by things. Because the Bible is very clear, do not love things. Don't love things. Use it, give it away, discard it. Don't get attached to things. Because it's impossible to get to attached to things and then equally get attached to people. That's a problem with things. There's no eternal value in anything on earth. No eternal value. And God's the most valuable thing right now on earth, common man, is gold. That's what we walk on gold on earth, is under your feet. People don't understand what worldliness is. People think worldliness is connected with clothes. and It is not. It is your excitement about these things. Because everything in this world is connected to the physical body which is perishing. Everything. You name me one thing which is not a thing, a material thing in this world, which is not connected to the body and connected to the soul. Nothing. That's why I tell people straight away, people say, can you lend me that book? I say, no. Because that thing is connected to my soul. I'm not giving it to you. 
Not all books, certain books. I am giving it to you because I don't know where it will come back. Paul sitting in his prison in his last days is also remembering his old parchments. That's not for the body, that's for the soul. Bring my old cloak, it doesn't matter, don't go and buy a new one with fur lining and all, it doesn't matter, just bring that old one. But my parchments, they are precious. Bring my parchments. So we have to see what worldliness means. Worldliness means. And that is what God, you can come through all the plagues of Egypt. You can come through the Red Sea. You can come through 40 years in the wilderness. And then you can cross the River Jordan. And then you can see the power of God when the walls of Jericho. And then you can pick a Babylonian garment and a chunk of gold and die in the promised land. That is worldliness. That is worldliness. That's worldliness. Because Akhan was definitely there in Egypt. Because you had wife and children and all. Definitely. In Egypt, as a small boy, he saw it all. Saw it all. That's why Akan is put there, right there, in Joshua seven, as a picture. You can come through all these rigorous things which God puts through, and still their worldliness not be destroyed. And I always used to wonder, what is? I can understand somebody picking up a bar of gold in Israel, where costume I and mean, uniform has been given. Where are you going to wear this Babylonian garment? What idiot are you? Where are you going to wear it? You'll stick out like a sore thumb. Stick out like a sore thumb. Stick out like a sore thumb. You have to look at these pictures in the Bible. These pictures are real. These pictures are real because you haven't settled issues in your life. And that's what the Bible is talking about here. I will boast of nothing. In that cross it has died. And that's what Paul is talking about. He can sit with a poor man by the riverside and eat. He can sit in the palace and eat with Felix. He's got no issues. Because it doesn't touch him. The king's table doesn't touch him. The poor man's hut floor also, it doesn't touch him. Because he knows, he knows, I know how to abound. I know how to be. These things don't touch me. Jesus could sit in a rich man's house and he could sit with the poor people and it didn't bother him. He could go to a rich man when he called, he will go all the way to meet a poor man. These things don't bother him at all because the world is not there inside at all. At all. Oh, no. The Bible is talking about these things and these things, that is what the cross does. That is what the cross of Jesus Christ does. The cross. My cross is to die to the flesh. The cross of Jesus Christ is where I die to the world. And that's what the Bible is talking about. Let's go back. 21, no, we looked at it. They said to one another, we are truly, until we acknowledge, we are truly guilty concerning our brother. That's how God is. Cain, Cain, where is your brother? I'm my brother's keeper. So we saw. Therefore, this distress has come upon. Now we need to understand the reason for my torment. Because I say, the Bible for me is life. Always that chapter in the book of Acts fascinates me. How could Paul and Silas sing? In the midnight hour, legs stalked, in the chains, back broken. How did they pray? How did they sing? How did they sing? 
Not a lot of people don't sing. They sink in a situation like that. Why? Because the heart is absolutely right with God and right with man. Clear. There's no unforgiveness. So all that will come out is praise. Come out is praise. It's not that they're not dealing with issues. They're dealing with issues. But it does not stop them. Because they deal with the next day when they came to he says, No, go tell them. To personally come because they've broken the Roman law. I'm a Roman citizen. And then they were all scared. He doesn't skirt issues of justice and all. But he says, My personal response is something else. My personal response is completely different. Personal response. Completely different. And we have to look at these things if we have to come through. You know? Otherwise, what will happen? People look at the rich people in the world. Are they happy? Is anyone happy? Nobody is happy. Nobody is happy. Some of those believers in the prison in China and North Korea are more happy than Jeff Bezos or whatever, all this slim and all Mbani and all the rich people and the famous people. All these people, they have fame, they have money, they have everything. Nobody is happy. And you always see here, but we don't hear about the poor man who dies on the street, but every day there will be some celebrity who commits suicide. Right? Why? After three days he releases them. He sends them back with lots of money and everything. And the only thing he, testimony is this. I want to know about that brother you said. He said you have a younger brother, right? I want to know about him. He asked them about his, their father and their brother. Then he said, when you come back, bring that brother. And he gives, put, tells his servants, put their money back in their sacks. And see what happens. Verse 28. They had stopped for the night halt. Somebody opened the sack to get some corn for the donkeys and all. He said to his brothers, my money has been restored. There it is in my sack. Their hearts failed them and they were afraid, saying to one another, what is this God has done to us? That is what happens with torment. When you have unresolved unforgiveness issues, guilt in your life, it doesn't matter what God gives you. You'll never enjoy it. Never enjoy it. You're like the mithai dhaba wala, mithai wala selling all the mithais with diabetes. <laughs> mithai in India means sweet shop. The sweet shop. Every rasagulla, gulab jamun, sweet curd, everything is there. Kaju, barfi, everything, but <laughs> you can't have it. When you get out in the morning, the first thing wife says is, mat khana. <laughs> Diabetes hai, mat bhulla. Everybody is coming and check, eating sugar. You are going to the hospital weekly checking sugar. That's what happened. Where money has been? Should be happy, right? Should be happy. Their hearts failed them. That's why God says the wicked will never have rest. Well, when God prospers a man, he does not add trouble to it. He doesn't add trouble to it. He doesn't have a 
So God is talking about this. was the purpose. The whole idea is to bring us to a consciousness. Have you forgiven your brother? Have you made peace with your father? Have you made peace with your brother? Go to 43.1. Has the famine gone away? Now the famine was, why has the famine not gone? It's severe. It's only getting more severe. Why is the famine not going? They went and bought enough and thought, okay, in a little while famine will go and we don't have to go back to Egypt. But famine is not going. Remember, David's time, one year, two year, three year, famine is not going. But there are unresolved issues in lives, in homes, in churches. It's not going. Famine is severe in the land. Why? Because you have not made peace with the father and peace with your brother. Who's your father? Jacob. Does he know you, what you did to Joseph? No. Does he know? No. The false appearance. Oh, daddy, we are with you. We're so sad to see you like this, daddy. Have you made peace with God? The father? No. Have you made peace with your brother? No. How will the famine go? All our celebration in our churches, hallelujah, and jumping and all is irrelevant if this is not working, if the cross has not worked in your life and healing has not flown into your life. That three words, you are forgiven. Right? You are forgiven. You know, there is two interesting things. In Mark chapter 2, you don't have to go there and uh, uh, the man, uh, John chapter 5, the man pulled at Bethsaida. It's a man sitting there for 38 years. Jesus goes to him personally. Nobody hears, nobody knows, goes to him and says, do you want to get well? He says, nobody there to stir the waters and all that. He says, pick up your mat and go. In Mark chapter 2, there's a paralytic man and Jesus is in a house preaching and it's a massive crowd. Every avenue is blocked. So they open the roof and they let him down. Jesus looks at him and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And they ask, who is this man? Saying this thing. He says, which is easier to say? Sin is forgiven or pick up your mat and go? He actually says both here. But he says, for their hearing sake, what did he say? Your sin is? How long have you been in this bed? How long have you been tormented? You have right now come to the point to receive forgiveness. The famine has worked in your life. Your sins are forgiven. Pick up your mat and go. And scripture says he was well and he picked up his mat and he went. This is a tormentor. Physical torment, emotional torment, spiritual torment. All kinds. It's a man sitting at the gatherings with all demonic. Everywhere Jesus goes. He heals people who are physically tormented. He heals people who are emotionally tormented. He heals people who are spiritually tormented. But what is one of the, the biggest root cause of almost everything in life is unforgiveness. You haven't received forgiveness from God and you haven't forgiven your brother. And the famine is severe in the land. Severe in the land. Hmm? Severe in the land. Hmm? That's what Bible is talking about. Go to Benjamin, uh, sorry, uh, 43. Chapter 43. Genesis 43, verses 29 to 31. One verse by verse we shall look. Verse 29. Okay? Now they have come back. They have come back. They have come back. Second trip. They have come back. 
and Benjamin is with them. Then he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Okay? So Joseph will look at his father's sons and his mother's son. Father's son and his mother's son. Father's son and he's speaking Telugu Vijay Jesko. No, father's son and mother's son. Okay, so there's a slight, slight difference. When your father and your mother is the same, there is wholeness in your life. One is a brother, the other is a stepbrother. One has not come into the fullness of Christ. One has not come into the fullness of Christ. Okay, is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. That's the only son who has not sinned against the father. Or sinned against the brother. So God be gracious to you. Listen to what he is saying. What did he say? God be? This is the difference. When you have made peace with God and peace with man. You are not living in God's mercy. You are living in God's grace. All the others are still living in God's mercy. It's a difference. There's a whole lot of difference. A living under mercy alone and living under grace. Though we need mercy every day but you are living on grace. And grace is the power of God. Grace is a supply of God. Your soul is fat. It is not lean. Go to the next verse. Now his heart yearned for his brother. For whom? Jesus' heart is yearning for Benjamin, not the other ten so much. His heart is Yearning for those brothers, no? meaning Jesus is waiting and waiting and waiting to reveal himself to those who have made peace with God and peace with man and gather them to himself, but he cannot because the others haven't yet come home. So rapture is still delayed. He's yearning just to grab Benjamin. But the problem is there are ten others. The father is the same. They still have not made peace. They still do not have that clarity. They are still caught in so many torments in their life. They still see themselves as victims and not victors. Overcomers in Christ Jesus. I have overcome everything the enemy has thrown at me. I have come through it all. That's Joseph. He's come through it all. Every trauma, every rejection, every shame. Think about it. Shame. He had to go through. When Potiphar's wife said it, and Potiphar, he absolutely sure he was stripped and he was whipped and he was beaten and chains were put and he was thrown into the dungeon. The shame of it. The anguish of the soul. Through it all. He went through. And he was innocent. He was innocent. In verse 31. He washed his face, came out, he restrained himself and said, Serve the bread. 
Okay. He washed. He, Jesus is still restraining. Because there will be so many from different countries, men and women, crying out, Lord, crying out, Lord, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus. He restrains himself. Still, you know why? Not because they are not ready, because the other brothers are not ready. Come, Father. Because he cannot reveal himself to us. So they set him a place by himself and them by themselves and Egyptians who ate with him by themselves and because Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. So Jesus still sits by himself. Do you see that? The world is sitting in one corner. Jesus is sitting in one corner. Church is sitting in one corner. And who, where is the fault? Why is Jesus not sitting with the church and eating? Because there are ten people who will not make amends for their guilt. They will not forgive their brother or seek forgiveness from God. Therefore, Jesus is still sitting and alone. So he told his disciples, I will not eat or drink of the fruit of this wine until that day. I have to drink. I will be alone. I am waiting. Waiting for that day. You know? And there is Benjamin. Where is Benjamin? Sitting with the ten and eating. And Jesus is not revealing himself to Benjamin. And Benjamin has to make this long journey from his father's house to Egypt. Did he do anything wrong? But he has to go through all their sufferings because of them. Because of them. Not because he did something wrong. Though he he is a victim. Though he hasn't sinned. Meaning he hasn't harmed anybody. He is a victim. So if you are a victim, you never harmed anybody. You were abused. Sit at the table like Benjamin. God wants to reveal himself to you. But sit like Benjamin. Sit like Benjamin. Sit with the other brothers. Share in the sufferings. They are suffering because they sinned. And you are not, you have not sinned, but you are sharing in their sufferings. Because your suffering is connected with their salvation. Because if Joseph does not see Benjamin, he will not release the other ten. He is waiting to see how they will deal with this one. Benjamin is right with the father. Benjamin is right with his brothers. So they all eat at the same table. Verse 34. And they said before, yeah. Then he took servings to them from before him. But Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs. So they drank and were merry with him. So there is Joseph sitting at his table. Prince of Egypt. Egyptian sitting at another table. Hebrew sitting at another table. And he tells the stewards, serve them from my table. Where do we eat from? His table. We don't realize. Every day we eat from his table. What's the difference? How they are served? Benjamin gets five serves. Benjamin is feeding on grace. The others are feeding on mercy. He gets five times more. But all the children eat from the father's table. Give us this day our daily bread. What did you get? 
mercy or grace or just mercy? Just mercy. Only grace. Mercy does not make you victorious. It only brings you comfort that you are not condemned. Grace makes you victorious. The sad part is, everybody is feasting from the food from Joseph's table without knowing it is Joseph. That's the state of the church. Everybody receives the blessings of God without actually knowing God. Well, the end of salvation, Paul says, is that I want to know him. I want to know him. I want to know him. No? Think about it. Finally, we are not getting into that part of the story. Finally, when Joseph is satisfied with their response in chapter 45, what will happen? And verse 3, yeah, verse 1, Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. Okay, and verse 3, he will reveal himself. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. The day Christ is revealed to the church should be our happiest day, but many, many people will be petrified when they see him. Petrified. That's why scripture says, some will rise to exceedingly great joy, some will be terrified, some will be ashamed. Petrified. They were dismayed by his presence. Think about it. A little while ago, you ate from his table. And your stomach is full. Then you realize, he, this is the one who fed you and you're terrified. Didn't you just eat of him? Didn't you eat of his mercies and his goodness all these years? And then he reveals himself. This is the one who fed you. Instead of being so excitable and grateful and worshipful, you are petrified. Why? There is something inside. Unresolved. Unresolved. So don't skirt this issue. You don't realize this is the most important issue in life. Don't skirt this issue. And then what happens in verse 14? Joseph weeps. He fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. He first fell upon... See, there is... Don't call it partiality. There are rewards in heaven. It's not socialism there. Okay, There are rewards and they are fixed for eternity. All the brothers will be there, but he will fall first fall upon certain group of brothers and sisters and he will weep on them. He's weeping. His brother Benjamin. And Benjamin wept. Look at the next verse. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over. But doesn't say they wept. Didn't say they wept. Benjamin wept. So there is no guile in his heart. I have never sinned against you, oh my father. I'm so happy to see you, Jesus. I was waiting. This was the cry of my life. Maranatha, 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 come Jesus. The other guys, no. They only came to church. They only came to Jesus to see if they could get some food for the famine. He weeps over them too. Because Jesus loves everybody. He weeps over them too. But they don't weep over him. They don't weep over them. This is what, what I call you, what I call the frame through which you look at life. 
If you look as a victim, you will never be able to enjoy Jesus. Never be able to enjoy and appreciate Jesus. Though you may eat at the same table, you will never be able to enjoy Jesus. And this is what God is talking about. Turn to Genesis chapter 50, verse 15 to 21. It's interesting. These things you all have to see what unresolved things guilt does in life. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. And are they saying this? You know what age, that way we will know. You know what age Jacob entered into Egypt? 130. You know what age he died? 147. How many years have passed by? How many years have passed by? 17 years have passed by. Still they're afraid. They're still afraid. Maybe. So they send messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, they're trying to use influence the father. The father is not alive to confirm it, right? Saying, yeah. Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your fathers and of your brothers, their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of your servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. How many years did it take for them to come and ask for forgiveness? This is what God is talking about. What God is talking about. This is what torment does. This is what God said. I will hand you over to the tormentors. Are you in Egypt? Yes. Are you living in Goshen? Yes. Do you lack a meal? No. Are you under Joseph's protection? Yes. Do you have peace? No. No. Why? Because there's unresolved issues in my life. What is that? I haven't forgiven. I haven't sought forgiveness. Having sought forgiveness from God, having sought forgiveness from my brother. That's the altar. The first altar. That's the first altar. So before people can go to hell, God gives them a taste of hell. No? Mark chapter 9 and verse 48. And he'll close. What is the nature of hell? Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Okay. Basically they say this is talking about that valley, Gehonom Valley, where Jerusalem's rubbish is all burned and the refuse is thrown. There are two things you see there. The fire never goes out and over all the refuse you see the worms. And God says when you are living, that's what happens. You have. No, it's eating your flesh away. It's eating your flesh away. It's just burning in you. You have no peace. You have no peace. God is just giving you a foretaste of hell and saying, you don't have to go there. You don't have to go there. You don't have to go there. No. And that's what I talk. Angry men and bitter women. Usually, they're bitter men and angry women too. But generally speaking, no, tormented. Both are tormented. No, Saul is sitting there, angry man, tormented. And the demonic spirit is coming and tormenting. Where are you sitting? On the throne. Where are you sitting? Tormented. By what? Anger. You know? 
these issues have to be dealt with. Otherwise, it will not die. This is just a foretaste is giving them. This is what it will be the place where you are going. It never dies there. Never dies there. So God says this is the most important thing in life. The most important thing is like walk in the light of the cross. And Paul says this is what we preach. This is what we preach. And when you walk in the light of the cross, it becomes clear. The Bible becomes clear. God speaks to you. Jesus does not hide his face from you. He speaks to you. It's very clear. He speaks to you. If Jesus does not, if, if Jesus does not reveal himself to us, then, and we are only eating at the table, then where do I get my peace from? Because everything comes as a revelation of Jesus Christ. That is his life. When Jesus reveals himself to you, meaning his life has become your life. When you are only eating at his table, you are only eating of what he has provided for you. His life has not become your life. Life has not become your life. No, And that's why Jesus said, I have come to give you life. I have come to give you life. And these are important things. And people need to realize, because the problem is the entire world, all around the world, people see themselves as victims. In India also. Yes. 6,000 years or 5,000 years of casteism. But if you were one of the lowest caste, and you have come to the Lord, and you have received the power of His Holy Spirit, you are not a victim anymore. You are not a victim even in this country. You are not a victim. You are not a victim. You cannot have Christ live in you and be a victim. Cannot be a victim. You cannot see yourself as that. Okay. And, but the minute, and how do you move from that to the next step? Next step is by only by receiving and giving forgiveness. Receiving and that's the that's the altar Elijah is repairing. Are you understood? Did you get it? Okay. As I close, uh, the, that we look at Sunday. No, God says. When you come with your gift to the altar, what is the altar for? That's where you offer your sacrifice, your gift, whatever. Is when you bring with your gift, you're coming to the altar. You want to praise, you want to worship, you want to sing, you want to give an offering or whatever it is. And you realize the horizontal bar is down. Wait a second. Don't rush to worship me. Go put that right. Put that right. Put that right. Put that right. And then come. And then come. Put that right. See, it's all got to do with the altar. Put that right. You know? That's where Benjamin had no issues. Benjamin is able to sit there and happily eat it all off. And he weeps when he sees Jesus. There's no guilt, no fear. It's just joy. Sheer relief. You know why? Because he did not deceive his father. He did not harm his brother right with God and right with man. And God says, walk like that on a daily basis. Walk like that. You know? And people have to, especially married people, have to be very, very careful about it. And unmarried people have to be very careful with their parents. Very, very careful with their parents. Because young people are on a guilt trip. Not guilt trip meaning putting their, try to put their parents on a guilt trip and blame it. And that was God was very, very clear with Israel. Very, very clear. There were two mountains Right? Mount Ibal and Mount Gerasim. Right? And there is blessing and there is do you know one thing? Where there is curses, there is an altar. There is no altar there. 
it's an altar there. It's an altar here. Go check your book. There's only one altar. There's no altar on each mountain. It's altar only here. And the commandments that comes from here, be careful how you deal with your dad and mom. Hey, young married, all young guys, I know you lost 40 years in the wilderness, 30 years, 20 years, 25 years. I know that. You can say my career was uh, messed up because of my father put me in that school or my mother didn't send me for tuition. I was so interested in music, but they were never interested. I wanted to do cricket, but they wanted me. All oh, this chill. Chill. They don't define your future. I do. I do. I do. Don't you dare blame them for anything. Anything. Be careful. Your destiny is decided by me, not by them. Because these are the issues. And people don't realize these are the issues that is blocking them from moving forward to God, with God. And we don't want God telling us, you wicked servant, no? You wicked servant, right? No, the wrath of the king was aroused. And he said, hand them over to the tormentors. Three things you have to remember. But he calls you, and you, how does, what makes him angry? <laughs> it's very strange, right? If you look down from heaven, if you had heaven's perspective, Everybody should be angry with David. But God is not angry with David. He's angry with Ahitophel. Strange, right? Two men standing. King is in the throne. Ahitophel is next to him. Hazur, yes sir, yes sir, yes sir. Three bags full, sir, yes sir. And if you look at God, he looks with compassion on David and anger with Ahitophel because he knows his heart. Not us. If we were told the whole story, we would feel compassion for Ahitophel. And we would be angry at David. You don't realize that. David has made his peace with God. Peace with God. And he has accepted the judgment of God without even blinking his eye and worshiped God through it all. He's come through it all. That's what God is talking about. Get these pictures very, 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 very clearly. Otherwise, you know what? We will get stuck on the way. And the worst thing, the worst thing is what you call it in a marathon race. To fall in between <laughs> and see all the others who started after you, passing you by. A lot of people have fallen. Very simple thing. What the devil do? He just put a foot over there and tripped you. What was that foot? The foot of unforgiveness. Gone. One little foot of unforgiveness was kept there and you tripped and fell. And you are gone. Amen? Let's pray. Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. We look at your word, Lord. We have to come through that first gate, Lord. Your soul was poured out in agony as a sin and a guilt offering, Lord. And only because of that we have received forgiveness for our sins. Otherwise, the Father, the righteous God, the judge of all flesh would forgive no one. He's able to be both the just and the justifier because you poured out your soul for every sin committed by every man, woman and child ever. You paid the price. And you poured out your soul in agony, Lord. Now it is our turn. And you are waiting to see what we will do. 
He made it very clear. If you do not forgive from your heart, your Father in heaven also will not forgive you. Every one of us, Lord, our struggle is with that. Struggle is with that. We struggle more than anything else. We struggle with unforgiveness. Which leads to everything else. Resentment and anger and hatred and envy and jealousy and sicknesses and lack of sleep and ailments. Everything is connected to one thing. One thing. Struggle with unforgiveness. Today you are calling us, come near to me. Let's put that first block in that altar, the first stone. The first stone is the cornerstone. And the first stone is the stone of forgiveness. The entire gospel is the gospel of forgiveness. That what makes Christianity separate from every religion under the sun. It's only one religion that preaches total forgiveness from God and towards man. And that's the first stone. That's a stumbling stone. That's a stone over many stumble, both the Jews and the Greeks. But those who have understood the gospel, that is the stone that has become their foundation stone. That is the stone on which they have built their lives. Doesn't matter what all other stones they have added, they always look back to the cornerstone. They know their life takes meaning and shape from that stone. I am forgiven, so I will forever forgive. I am forgiven, now, today, tomorrow, forever. And I will also live a life of forgiveness. I will not justify the wrongs of the others. That's not my job. But I will forgive freely. So that I can see his face. I can behold his face. I just don't want to eat those things from his hands. I want to see his face. I want to know his ways. I want to know his thoughts. I want to be guided by his eye. I want his life. That is salvation. And that's for the purpose for which you came, Lord. And let nothing stop any man from that. Less than that. Come into your church around the world, wherever they are and listening. And I pray, Lord, they'll make peace with God. Even if somebody is dead, they'll just come to you and make peace with that person, with you. Like you restored Jacob at Peniel. What is your name? You deceived your father? And you deceived your brother. You want to be blessed. But I cannot bless you. Until you have peace with me. That day Jacob had peace. And then the next day. He had peace with his brother. And Jacob was Israel now. He had prevailed with God. And prevailed with man. The only way man will prevail with God. And prevail with man. Is in the act of forgiveness. The closest to which a man can come and be like God is when he forgives. He is becoming like God. Because only God can extend mercy. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall obtain mercy.
We are still living in that age of mercy and grace. We just thank you, Lord. Help us to be like you and extend mercy, mercy, and receive mercy and walk in mercy. We just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you, Lord. Let the balm of Gilead flow into the lives of your children as they make their lives right with you. The balm of Gilead will flow. Those who are tormented will receive peace. Those who are afflicted in their body, I pray, will receive healing and they will walk free. And when they go out, they will boast about the cross of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. We worship you. We glorify you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.